Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Andy Rourke and this is the Cone of Shame Show. Guys, I have something really fun and wonderful for you today. It is an interview with the one and only Dr. Michael Miller. Michael's a good friend of mine. He is known to the world these days as the Harry Potter vet. So whether you're a huge Harry Potter fan or not, I think you're really going to enjoy Michael. We're talking about his article on the three deathly hallows of vet medicine. And uh, I think it goes to some really cool places. So without further ado, the Harry Potter vet. This is your show, we're glad you're here, we want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Hey everybody, I am here today with one of my friends, Dr. Michael Miller. Uh, Michael is at Lakewood Animal Hospital in Morris, Illinois. It's one of four vet practices that he is a co-owner in. He has been writing for the Dr. Andy Rourke website for years now, and he has built a name and a brand for himself as the Harry Potter vet. So tell us tell us a little bit about that and how you got started with that idea. It's, it's a long story, but the short version is I was looking for something else in my career to to do something outside of work to kind of be a little bit of a stress relief. Um, and that's why I started writing some pieces for for your site. And then I threw together one that was about the fantastic beasts of Harry Potter and lessons we could learn that would help us in vet med. And it kind of did pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> and that. so... Uh, the Uncharted community has definitely been uh, my cauldron that has brewed that and been very supportive and encouraged me to follow it. And so I launched that blog uh, a little over a year ago. And it was basically for me to feel better about dealing with my own stresses at work, the yep. dementors and other things. <laughs> and uh, And kind of my whole thing that I keep coming back to was it was my way of coming back to discover the magic in veterinary medicine that somewhere along the way, the way I had kind of lost. Yeah. Did you ever think when you were tinkering around and you were writing the, I think I remember talking to you about the fantastic beasts and you had this idea and you were kind of working on it. And did you ever think that it would kind of blow up the way that it has? I mean, you're on, you're doing, you're doing podcasts with, you know, all over the place. And, uh, you know, I mean, like you're just, You've, you've got this recognized brand and like you've just built something really fun and really good that a lot of people, myself included, like really enjoy. Did, did you see that coming at all? Oh, absolutely not. And I think anybody that does anything, writes articles or does anything on social media, you're not expecting it to go anywhere because most of the things you do don't really reach a lot of people. I think that's the healthiest way to look at it, honestly, is if you're doing a thing because it makes you happy, number one, I think you're going to, I think you're more likely to stay with it. And that perseverance is what helps you make it as well, but you're more likely to stay with it. But then the expectations are low and when it takes, not if, but when it takes a lot longer than you think, you know, for people to to recognize what you're doing or, or notice you. You don't you don't care that much because you're doing this thing that you like, and so I think I think you have embodied that more than almost anybody that I know. 
And it's just, I just think it's awesome. I just think for people out there who who kind of have a a side hustle or they've got a you know a hobby or 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 they just want to do some writing or they just want to express themselves, I, I would point to you honestly as one of the people to look at and say, look, there's a guy who has something that he loves and he uses it to recharge his own batteries, you know, and, and he has fun with it. And as a result, everyone can see that he's having fun and it makes them want to be a part of what he's doing. And so I think honestly, of all the people that I know who are like building things in vet medicine, quirky things in vet medicine, fun things in vet medicine, Michael, I think you may have it nailed better than anybody when it comes to making something that feels sustainable and and just uplifting to the person who's doing it. Do you Absolutely. agree? Oh. Absolutely. I had I had somebody ask me, so so what are you planning on doing with this Harry Potter vet thing? Where is this going? And I'm like, well, I, to be honest, I, I kind of have a little bit of an idea, but I'm trying to enjoy it in the moment and see where it goes as opposed to forcing it a certain direction. Um, and I think that's the part that's been freeing to me because, I mean, I, I've done this blog, but I usually do like one a month. I'm really not producing very much. I mean, I've got a nine-month-old at home that we're trying to keep alive. So mm-hmm. <laughs> so there are other things going on. And it's okay for me to take a step back from the Harry Potter vet and focus on the things that I feel are more important at that time. I, I think a lot of people buy into this idea that like if you want to – be a writer or you want to, you know, make videos or whatever, you've got to commit to a schedule and treat this like a job. And I don't know, man, I I feel like we, I feel like we suck all the fun out of the things that should be fun a lot of the time. And I don't know that those people get further ahead. I think that they think they do, but you writing something once a month that you feel like writing is better than somebody who's just nose to the grindstone writing stuff they're not really excited about, but they just feel like they have to meet these arbitrary deadlines of of making things and putting them out in the world. And so I, I don't know. I just I want to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. I just I really I really like I like where your head's at. And I will tell you this too. <laughs> My my wife, Allison, still brings up how the conversations that we had like eight or nine years ago when she was like, so this Facebook thing, <laughs> what are you, re- what are, like, where does this go? And I, and, and again, I just want to validate the heck out of you. It's like, I, I just remember having a vague sense that I was, you know, that it, it wasn't over yet. And I, ha- I was having fun and I felt like there was. I felt like it could be more and like, that's all I had doing that stuff. And man, that's a, that's, that's enough. I think it really is. Well, I think one of the things you brought to it is it's okay to have fun. Like we don't have to be serious all the time in veterinary medicine. You can still have fun and be an amazing doctor, being an amazing veterinary professional and still find the fun in this profession. Oh, well, thanks for saying that. First of all, but again, like I, I point, I point back to you and like, you've done this beautiful thing of like Harry Potter vet. And there are people who do not like Harry Potter or people who are, who've never read Harry Potter, but there's people who actively dislike Harry Potter. Well, those people don't come and read your stuff and that's fine. You know, like the, it, it's better to have a smaller group of people that really celebrate you and really, or celebrate what you're doing and really enjoy it 
than to have an enormous group of people who are ambivalent about what you're trying to do. And so you stand out as so unique. And you're right. There's people who go, uh, I hate Harry Potter. And they scroll on past. That's not bad. In fact, it's good because people can just immediately look at your stuff and they're either in or they're not. And that's fine. Like, that's great. Um, I'm, I, it reminds me of like horror movies. I am not a horror movie guy. So like, as soon as the music comes on, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm, like, I'm, I'm leaving. And that's fine. But other people, as soon as they hear the music, they are like, oh, what is this? And, and I think that this, I mean, what, what we're kind of unpacking here, it has a point, I promise. But I, I think that, and honestly, in life, so many of us are trying to be all things to all people. And you, my friend, are not trying to be all things to all people at all. You've got your thing that's fun that you like and you do it. And people, your people are just drawn to it like moth to flame. And I just think that that is so awesome. And the same thing goes for us in, in practice. It's the exact same analogy of you are the doctor, you're the technician, you're the practice that you're comfortable with and you're going to draw your people in. And the people that don't like the way that your practice can go to another clinic. Oh, totally. Oh, yeah. That, that's and that's that's so true. And when we talk about, I think we talk about happiness in medicine. Just recognizing, I do my thing, and I'm not going to be all things to all people, and being okay with that. Man, that's like the first big hurdle in being happy. Like we, so I practice in in Greenville, South Carolina, and and the main practice where I, where I work actually, there's two, there's there's three practices that I, that I work at, and so they're all they have the same group of owners, and I move around between them. But uh, two out of the three of them now. Because one of them just got renovated. These beautiful stone facades on the front. I mean, these are nice practices. And there are clients who come in, look at the waiting room and go, I'm not paying for this. And they walk out. <laughs> and it it took me a couple of years to get to be okay with that. You know, to just be like, okay, there's another practice literally a mile from here that is much less uh, expensive. Or, you know, and you get what you pay for in vet medicine, as we know. I'm not knocking those guys and what they do. We do something different. And there are some people who would never go anywhere except Cleveland Park Animal Hospital. Those are the people that, that you know, that those are my people. And I serve them. I don't have anything against people who go somewhere else. But just recognizing that some people are, it's not going to be their jam. And being okay with that, gosh, that's been, that's been something I wish I could go back and tell 27-year-old Andy. Like, hey, man. You get to be okay with this because it's it's gonna it's gonna free you. It's the it's the nature of the bleeding heart veterinary professional of I must help as many animals as possible and I can't turn anybody away. And getting over that hurdle completely changes your mindset and and frees you up to again going back to starting to have fun in the way that you're able to actually finally able to help animals and not be so stressed out by it. Yeah. No, I agree. Well, you know, we're starting to unpack some of this stuff about about vet medicine, and and I'm chomping at the bit here to to have this conversation with you more. Um, first of all, let let's just go ahead and start. And this is the first time we've ever had to give a spoiler alert on the podcast. Um, <laughs> like, I, I I mean, would you say that 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 people, um, if you are if you are if you are the person who is like three books into Harry Potter and you really don't want the story <laughs> ruined for you. I think that's kind of on you at this point. I don't think I don't have a lot of sympathy anymore. It's been a long time and the movies have been out for a long time. But 
I do you need to have some knowledge of the books to to understand where we're going from here? You think? I think I can explain enough to kind of help people that don't know the story all that well. Um, and we may throw in some references that other people will key in on that maybe will be a little deeper than some people care. But I'll try to <laughs> keep those to a minimum. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You've got uh, le- what we're talking about specifically. We had uh, you had an article that came out on the drandyrourke.com site back in August. And it was one that I really liked and it was very popular. And it's called The Three Deathly Hallows of Vet Med. Tell me a little bit about just tell me a little bit about the concept. Like so so cuz it's this is not your straightforward, you know, how to get pet owners to show up on time. Like this is a this is a concept piece. And so tell me a little bit about what where your head's at and kind of how this came to be. Yeah, so so for anybody who hasn't read all the books, there are people that need a little bit of a refresher. So the Deathly Hollows were magical items um, in Harry Potter that were supposed to make somebody the master of death if they could possess all three of them. Um, but the key thing that I was trying to key in on was each of them also had something that was kind of dangerous about it. And so I was trying to think of, okay, because as veterinary professionals, we constantly deal with the death of patients. Mm-hmm. Um, I wondered if we had analogous vet med deathly hollows that could help us manage the loss of a patient, but that might actually also be dangerous if we're not doing it appropriately. Yeah, I love it. I think I think that's such a cool idea, and it's 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 real food for thought. So, so start to so you want you want to lay some of them out and kind of yeah so so the first one i discussed was the invisibility cloak which in harry potter was uh, an item that allowed a wizard to hide from death um and so i was trying to kind of come up with a comparison for veterinary medicine and i thought that our our coping mechanisms that we use to overcome loss was kind of like our our invisibility cloak to protect us um I think one of the key differences that I tried to lay out was that unlike Harry's invisibility cloak, where it didn't really matter who's under the cloak, it was the same cloak for everybody. Um, our coping mechanisms can be so different. Yeah. So I was wondering if you wanted to kind of chime in on which ones you found in your career you think are personally helpful to you. You know, it's funny when, when I was reading this, I was sitting back and thinking, um, are they different for other, for everybody? And I think the answer is absolutely yes. It's, you know, it's been something I've kind of wrestled with over the years of like, you find these things that are so helpful for you. And so you want to tell other people about them and you go, well, why don't you do this? And why don't you do that? And again, it's sort of been a, a journey for me to come to the point where it's like, we are so, uh, so individualistic in what, what, what recharges us and what helps us and what, you know, sort of supports us. And, and it's 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 so healthy to have a, a conversation about like this is a thing that helped me. I don't know if it will be helpful for you, but but I'll tell you about it in case it is. And I I just I think that we yell at each other and go, life balance, you need to be exercising, you need to be doing this, and you need to be doing that, and go to bed nine hours a night. And the truth is like we've all hopefully we've all found some some things that help us. And there's other things out there that could that could help us as well. But I think that sort of open discovery of of we're all different, we're all kind of 
finding our way. I, I think I think that you really explained that well, and I I I, th- I just I want to start by saying I thought that that was really cool. I love that you include these coping mechanisms as sort of the deathly hallows where there's there's a, a benefit and there's a fallback, and so uh, you know th- there's 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 danger here as well, and so. You know, for me, when I start thinking about this, I go, "What? Is, what is the danger in the coping mechanisms?" You know, I, I think, I think sometimes coping mechanisms become burdensome, right? Like, like we're, um, like I, I have to go and I have to meditate, and then I have to sleep for nine hours, even though I'm not tired, and you know, and I, and I've got these obligations that I don't feel like doing, you know, or, or that that aren't really recharging me. They're one more thing I have to do. I signed up for improv comedy classes and I don't really enjoy them and they're taking a ton of time out of my day, but I need to have a hobby. I, I, I think that that's part of the flip side and some of the downside. The other side of the downside that I see a lot and what really rang in my be- in my head was, was um, some of our coping mechanisms like, like substance abuse mm-hmm. are, they are coping mechanisms. A hundred percent people are like, I just need to take the edge off and, and have a couple of drinks and that's fine. And that is a great coping mechanism. Un- until it's not, you know, and yep. I, we look at physicians and we know that substance abuse is a problem. I'm not convinced that it's not a problem in, in veterinary medicine. In a lot of ways where a lot of us are under stress. Uh, we learn early in our careers that we can blow off some stress and have some drinks or, you know, or smoke some dope or do, do whatever we're going to do. Um, and I, I think that stuff is fine until it's not. And so those are the types of things for me that are coping strategies that can absolutely roll over on us. What what were your sort of thoughts with that? Yeah. So I was in the same thing, but I was, I didn't want it to get too dark on this article. So I tried to make it a little bit lighter and talk about how, you know, ice cream is one of my coping mechanisms, (laughs) but, uh, it just made the technicians really laugh at me when I then split my pants after I'd had a little too many, ice, <laughs> too much ice cream, <laughs> you know, went down that, went down that rabbit hole. Um, oh, the other thing for me, like you mentioned it, it can be different for people, but it can also be different over time. And so some of that is where you are in your life and your time commitment. But I also had a back surgery at the age of 32 and I used to be much more active. And some of the things that I used to be able to do, I couldn't do after back surgery. So yeah. then I had that kind of, well, that was my coping mechanism, and now I can't do it. So I had to, what am I going to do? Um, one of the things that would be one of those that has a danger uh, is that, you know, social media for me has been a coping mechanism. When I have a stressful day, I go and there's a bunch of different support groups that are out there, and it can be very beneficial but you can also get stuck wasting a ton of time. And the next thing you know, it's two in the morning and you've got to work the next morning and you had no idea you were spending that much time on social media. So you, get, you have to be careful to balance it no matter what your coping mechanism is. What a great example. You know, I, I enjoy social media. Like I, I go there for my friends and I go there to tell jokes and I cannot tell you. And it's just something I've gone through in the last year or so. Um, I can't tell you how many times I have gone on to social looking for a pick me up and ended up feeling worse than before I went on there. And it's, it, you know, I, I, I just think we all need to keep a, keep an eye on, am I, is this still recharging me? Is this still lifting me back up? Or is this thing that used to lift me back up, not lifting me back any, anymore? And, and what do I do about that? And so I know, I, I, I think that that's great. I think, um, you know, trying, trying new things, as you said, and I, I really love your point about 
it does change over time. It absolutely changes over time. It changes with, with your age. I love that you, you know, you had this, this, uh, physical malady and you say, well, I can't, I can't go lift weights anymore, you know, whatever. The other part is, you know, you've got a nine month at home, uh, at home. uh <laughs> the things that you do now to unwind, I'm certain will be different than what you'll do when your kids are my kids age. So my kids are nine and 11 and, now, as soon as you and I are done, I'm going to be checking out of here and going to pick my youngest one up from school and take her to a volleyball game. And if you've never seen nine-year-olds play volleyball, <laughs> it's hilarious. And I am going to laugh myself silly and cheer my head off. And it really will be a great thing. It'll be I'm away from the clinic. I've been putting a lot of hours in the clinic. It's going to be my time to watch my girl and, uh, you know, to be present in this thing that's happening but you know I, that if you told me you know six years ago that i would be fired up for the you know elementary school volleyball game i would have told you you're crazy but man i, I i'll be waving the big foam finger <laughs> well and that just goes to show you you got to have some flexibility in this profession and and continue to discover new things that fill your cup as you move on. Yeah. So, um, are there, are there recharge strategies that you're really loving right now? Uh, besides the ice cream? <laughs> well, so one of them that early in my career, I, I kind of played off a little bit cause I was, if you're in veterinary medicine, your recharge has got to be something that's not related to veterinary medicine. And I learned that what actually helped me more than anything else was the second I got home, I took my dog around the neighborhood for a walk. And that short walk was exactly what I needed to kind of decompress from the day. But at first it was like, well, I'm supposed to do something that doesn't involve animals. So walking the dog doesn't count because I got to have an outside interest. But, you know, people that go horseback riding or things like that, just because it involves animals doesn't mean it's different from what you were doing during the day. And if it charges you back up, then it's still worthwhile. I, I golly, I, I agree with that so much. For for me, just because I've been, I, like I said I've been putting a lot of hours in the clinic recently, which takes me back to to when I was really full time in the clinic and I wasn't doing anything else except working in the clinic. Um, and I was I was very happy with that. And I would come home and I would write in the evenings. And so I, I would write about the clinic and write about life in the clinic. And looking back, I think I kind of told myself this story of like, oh man, I worked so hard because I would I was appointments all day and I'd come home and I'd write at night and I would uh you know edit and I would do these things, uh, at night and boy, I worked all the time. And now that I'm kind of back in it and, and back kind of living that life and I can, I can see that life pretty easily from where I am. I write because I enjoy it and yeah, I'm writing about the practice, but I enjoy the practice, you know, and, and, and me sitting and writing about the pet owner that came in who was really a character I, that's, that's a different muscle from the muscles I use in the clinic where I'm worried about the outcome of the patient and the, you know, and the stress, this is me telling a story that, that happened to me. And I think it's a good story and I enjoy it. So I, I just want to support what you said about those hard lines of you have to get away from vet medicine. You know, I, I've, I've given up, I don't like the term life balance anymore. I really kind of pushed, I'm pushing away from that. I really like the term self-care instead because I feel like life balance gives this impression like you're supposed to be in the clinic this amount of time and then away from the clinic this amount of time. 
And if that's not what you want to do, then you don't have to do that. You know, I, I think it's, I think it's more about self-care and you can be in the clinic all the time, as long as your home life is good. And you know what I mean? And, and you're, you're drawing strength from this and you're not burning down, but you're, but you're growing and you're having fun and, you know, do, do what you want to do. And it never works out to, you know, to, to a balanced scale. That just, that's just not possible. It's just not going to happen. And so just enjoy the ride. And I think the key point of that is the self-care and the, we go back to each person is different and we're in veterinary medicine right now. We're all about being individualized on how we treat patients and tailoring to what the individual patient needs. But I think sometimes we forget about what the individual professional needs and yeah. what works for one doctor is not going to work for another doctor. So even though they may be at the same hospital, maybe one being part-time and one in full-time, that doesn't mean one is worse than the other. That's just what their self-care looks like. Yeah, no, I completely agree. So, um, yeah, find, find the thing that works for you. The other thing I guess I would say too is there are some things that you want to be self-care that you do regularly, like get good sleep, walk the dog, you know, get out away from the house. I, I really do. And it sounds like you and I are in the same place. I really do think that there's something important about the time when you get home from the clinic before you engage with the family. So e like, even if it's 10 minutes, my wife come home from work and she takes a bath and she is a fast bather. Like I, like, you know, I, I've never seen someone take a bath so fast, but she'll, she's like, got six minutes taking a bath. And I'm like, that, that does, that, you can't do that. That's not how this even works. It's if magic. Bath, I'm there the rest of the night. I'm like, that's, I've got it. Uh, scuba gear in there but <laughs> for a long time but no she so but that's her that's her thing and then the thing for me is so so one of the things that that has been really big for me in the last couple of years i i, I do I, I like to meditate i'm not some uh, but i don't i'm not some i don't want to give the impression of like you know shaved head cross legs you know like in the wilderness i'm like no there's a book called um a beginner's guide to practical meditation. And, um, in uncharted, we teach, a um, we teach, a, a we've got a, a two week course on meditation that we do. And, um, that's the book that we use. And it's just like 10 days. And these are like 10 minute little meditation uh, styles. And they're all very different, man. I read that book a couple of years ago and I love it. And, you know, but if I can come home and just sit down in the bedroom by myself for 10 minutes, and just kind of breathe and blow the day off. Um, man, I come back out of that room ready to hang out with the kids and ready to cook dinner and ready to hear about their day and hear about school because I've put the practice away. So like that that window, I think I think that that's really important. But I was gonna so like I said, I think that there's I think there's self care that we do every day and we do again and again. And I want to remind people though, don't overlook the one time thing. You know what I mean? The one time self-care. So, um, we're recording this. It's, uh, it's a Tuesday on, on Sunday, I got a babysitter for the kids and I took my wife to dinner and then we went and saw the Downton Abbey movie, which <laughs> I had no interest in seeing at all. None. I never watched the show. I, I, mo I mock my wife when I see her watching the show and it's not because I think the show is bad. It's because I enjoy mocking my wife over mm -hmm. goofy things, but, um, man, it, we had the best night. It, I mean, honestly, let me give a two thumbs up to the Downton Abbey movie, which was <laughs> so, so someone told me it was a feel good movie and it very much was, it was low stakes. 
just goofy thing. But oh man, taking taking my girl out um and we went to a taco place and then we and then we went and watched this movie that she was just so excited for. Man, it was a great day. And it was just it feel you know, it just fills your cup and I don't have to do that every weekend. I don't have to do that every month even, but man, that was a good day, you know? Yeah, we took my son to the aquarium a couple weekends ago. And we don't do that all the time, but you know, it was a one day thing and that was a wonderful day. And we learned that for uh eight month old at the time uh the aquarium was better because things are moving and he knows that things are there because we're like i'm not sure he really knows that there's a lion at the zoo so we'll save the zoo for a little bit but their aquarium little tip out there for anybody with young ones for self-care go to the aquarium it was great that's that's great insight yeah it there's a lot of times you're staring at a big empty kind of field and you're like no it's right there and and then your one-year-old not yeah he i don't i don't he can't even focus you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah it lights lights and flashes it might as well be whatever cartoon he's watching that day but he enjoyed it yeah no the the aquarium is is top notch good call and part of that goes goes along to i kind of hint at the end of the section for invisibility cloak that um professor dumbledore in his wisdom says that the biggest power of the invisibility cloak is the ability to help others and you can put more than one person under it and yeah. some of these things are not the individual self-care it was your family self-care or your practices self-care or things that you can help your friends to also get over and and cope with along with you yeah you know i i thought that was a really great point as well we we've, we've got a responsibility to check on each other you know um I had a, a euthanasia appointment yesterday. Uh, it was it was the way that we ended the day, and so a euthanasia appointment. And the owners were there, and um, and the, you know they were both uh, they were both in tears uh, as this you know sixteen year old dog uh, passed. And um, and I came out and I said to my technician, who was really wonderful, like she did such a great job. So Morgan, if you're listening, you were fan flipping tastic. And she was so compassionate. And she was so good. And I just sort of said like, Hey, you, you doing okay. Um, and, and, and she was, and then we talked a little bit more about the euthanasia and we sort of talked about how it went. And part of that is because I, I don't know, maybe it's a coping mechanism for me is I, I, I kind of wanted to talk about it. And so maybe that's part of it. Another part of it is also just to sort of take the temperature with her and make sure that she's feeling okay. You know what I mean? That, that she's, that she's, she's in a good place. And, and we talked a little bit and, and, and I felt like she was, and, you know, most of the time you're going to talk to people and they're going to be, they're going to be pretty even keeled and they're just, you know, they're just talking to you about, yeah, th- these are, these are hard, but you know, this is what I think went well. And, and, you know, this is why, this is why I, I completely agree. I think it was definitely time. And, and I think that there's great value in having those types of conversations with your staff just just for a moment because you're you are checking in on them. And if they if they're struggling, if they're having a hard time, if they start to say, you know, I I just don't know if I can keep doing this. The, you know, those are those are things that they open the door for us to have meaningful conversations and to look out for each other. And so when I saw this thing about putting the cloak over other people that's kind of what came into my head as far as like, you know, just, just keep an eye on each other. And I'm sure just the fact that you asked her was important to her. 
and the, even if she was otherwise fine, just the fact that you took the time to check in, and I think that's, again, that's the important part there. Sometimes it's just the check-in, and that helps to build that bond of the team and helps you guys to all, hey, you know what, we're in this together. And when you're coping with something like that, if you're not the only one, it's easier. Well, back to your point in the article, you know, isolation is one of the biggest problems for, you know, for all of us is, is just feeling alone. Um, and so, so when we talk about, you know, the invisibility cloak can help others to me, bringing them under the cloak is stripping away that feeling of isolation. Yeah. It's, it's kind of ironic because you would think it would be the opposite. The invisible person wearing the invisibility cloak would be isolated and be alone, but we're flipping it completely around where, yeah. No, we want you under here with us. <laughs> come, come and come and join this group where we're all gonna get through this together. Talk about the uh, talk about the resurrection stone a little bit. Yeah, so the resurrection stone in Harry Potter is an artifact that um, gives somebody the power to recall somebody who has passed. Um, and it's a little complicated in the story, but let's just say that the person that recalls the person that has passed goes down to a dark place. Um, and so there are some some negative things that can happen there. Um, and I think for us, I, I, was, I was picturing what we do to help pet owners remember their, their pets. And usually that's a paw print. And then was kind of thinking, okay, what are the things that are my version of a paw print that are mementos, thank you cards from clients, um, I have some pictures of, of dear clients that are and patients that I've that I've treated over time that I keep together. And so when I'm having a down day, I can go back to some of those that have been important to me and are inspiring. And I think that's the key difference is being inspired by those as opposed to having your kind of depression wall and you spiral down and 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 you get you get all depressed by well, I couldn't help this person, I couldn't help this animal, I couldn't do this. And instead focusing on the good things you were able to do and the ones that are inspiring you to be better for the future. Because let's face it, it's practicing medicine. There are going to be mistakes along the way. I have pets that have passed, and it certainly could be as a direct result of something that I did somewhere along the way. And instead of having that spiral down, trying to use that as inspiration to not make that same mistake again, to be better for future patients and, and kind of using that, that scar to reference my mic drop from before, uh, as the, as a power to inspire you to be better for the future. And I think having that, it could be the exact same, it could be the exact same situation, but having that difference in mindset to it makes the, makes all the difference there. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that. I, I think that there's very, I think that there's a lot of truth to that. You know, I've been playing a lot recently with this idea that picking at the future causes anxiety and picking at the past causes sorrow and depression. You know, um, we, I think a lot of us, it's, there's sort of two kinds of people. There's people who are always looking ahead and going, well, what if this happens? And what if this happens? And what if this happens? And that's a life of anxiety, you know, of, of worrying about what will happen, which is out of your control. And the flip side of that coin, which is equally bad, is 
looking at the back going, uh, looking at the past going, Oh, I wish I'd said this. I wish I had done that. I wish I had done this differently. Oh, I wish I had made a different choice. There's no more that you can do about the past than you can do about the future. You, you just, it's out of, it's out of your control and you don't know what would happen if you'd have said something differently or done something differently for, for years. I took the thank you cards and the things that people sent and I would read them and they meant a lot. And then I would, I would put them into a box that, that I had. And in a way it was good because I held on to them, but in another way, I never put any of them up where I could see them. You know, I never, I never had them out. And one of my friends asked me about it one time and she said, um, you know, why do you, why do you hide this stuff away? Like, why don't you, why don't you put this stuff out? And I really had to think about it. And I think it was because I felt, um, I think I felt, I think I felt pressure, you know, when I, when I would look at the, at the things that people had sent and they said, you were amazing. And this was so great. I think part of me said, oh, you know, you're not, what if you're not that good again? And like what, there's great weight to, to living up to these wonderful things that people have said about you. And the other part was that, you know, you do look at it sometimes and you, you're thinking about the pets that passed and, and it can, it can be sorrowful. And after her conversation, you know, my perspective really changed because she said, you know, that's, that's, that's not the way to look at this. You know, the way to look at this is like, look at the good that you've done and think about all the good that you can do today and just take that pressure away from yourself. You're, you're good enough. Just go forward and enjoy that you've had these good experiences and she just, she really changed my thinking and, um, and the way that I look at, you know, at the mementos of previous patients and thank God she did, you know, it just, um, it, it, I just think that that's such a, a more productive place to be is to look at the mementos of the past and the patients and, and say, on that day, I helped that person. Like I, I did that and it's nothing about what I have to do in the future. But on that day, I helped that person and I did something that mattered. And so I, I don't know. For me, it, it's that it's that again, I really love your idea of these things can be wonderful and then the the flip side of them can be can be sort of dangerous. And so I just I think this is such a great point. And it's and like and to your point there, it's such a fine line sometimes where you could have a box that's inspiring or a box that's depressing. Um, yeah, mine are in a, the top drawer of my desk, which now I'm going to go back to my office and, and think about putting some of those up. But yeah, y- I think yeah. some of it was the idea of I know where they are. I know that they're there. And just knowing that they're there is comforting that maybe I don't have to look at them all the time. But I know that if I need them, they're there. Yeah. No, I, I think that I think that's no, I, I think that that's a great point. I think I think maybe an audit of what's you know, what what is what is inspiring and what is sorrowful. And it's not even that, that I'm saying you throw some of these out. I think it's just important to think about how you feel about them and, and, and kind of ask yourself why you feel that way. I, I think that those thank you notes can be some of the most beautiful things that you'll ever have. And I think a lot of people live their whole life and they never have a thank you note as wonderful as what most of the people listening to this podcast probably have somewhere. Um, that's a great thing. I think the flip side of it is if you hold on to that and, and see that as a sorrowful thing, I think it's just something that we need to be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the, the magic of the deathly hallow. It can go either way. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, the last one you talk about is the elder wand. 
Yeah. You, and so, what do you mean when you talk about that? So this is the one that's definitely the the kind of the trickier one to wrap your mind around, I think, because in Vener- in in Harry Potter, the Elder Wand is the unbeatable wand, and through magical history, it was used to basically kill the opponent. And so you think about a magical item that causes death. And so in veterinary medicine, kind of the analogy went towards euthanasia drugs. And one of the things that I left out of the article that I I wanted to get a chance to talk to you about here was I definitely have a different perception of euthanasia now than I did when I was a brand new graduate. And I Mm -hmm. think part of it is because I finally found a technique, a rhythm, a protocol that works well for me, works well for my clients, works well for my patients. And that has relieved so much stress and made it a much more peaceful moment. Whereas when you're first starting, you're worried about all of getting all those things right and it becomes much more stressful. And if you can take that stress out of it and really focus on that the euthanasia is a gift and change your your mindset of it, you're using the elder wand in the right way, as opposed yeah. to somebody that's carrying the elder wand but doesn't really know how to use it. And it's not that you're maliciously causing yourself or your patients or your clients trauma. You just don't have the practice yet. And I yeah. think there's a lot more information now about techniques and different things for euthanasia that completely change the game and and relieve a lot of the stress that's out there. No, I completely agree. Um, shout out to to my dear friends and and vet school classmates, Dr. Danny McVitie and Dr. Mary Gardner, who have been lecturing about euthanasia and hospice care for years. And I sat through hours of Mary Gardner's lectures um, in Kansas City uh, in August. So back in August, I went to the Fetch conference and Mary was was lecturing there. And I went to one of her lectures because she's my classmate and I want to support her. And the topic looked interesting. And the next thing you know, three and a half hours had gone by and I was still in that room because her her stuff is great. She's a great lecturer. Uh, but the, the content is useful. I've been doing this 10 years, 11 years, 12 years now. But um, – <laughs> But you can always, you always get better, you know, and you always learn these tricks and these tips. And I, you know, Michael, I, I, I love your point about how we continue to refine our euthanasia techniques, one for the patient, obviously, and for the pet owners, obviously, but also for ourselves, you know, our own comfort level to be able to do this and feel good about it. And, um, and to really focus on the experience that we're creating, Man, I just think that that's such a, a great point of of growing our medical skill for our own benefit as well as for the patients and the pets. I, I think that that's fantastic. And when you hear the the vets that do hospice and euthanasia care and they talk about how the lay people, the non-veterinary people are like, oh, that's got to be such a depressing career. I can't believe you do this for a living. And they, they talk about it like, I'm I'm good at this. I like it. Like it's mm-hmm. weird to say that you like euthanasia, but when you when you're providing it in that mindset in a way that you're comfortable with, you you can like euthanasia. I know it sounds weird to other people, but to veterinary professionals, you understand that this is a gift that you can give. Oh, I I agree. I think that I think that that mentality is coming out more and more in our profession. It makes me happy. You know, I think that there's so many people now that are moving into hospice care 
And so I mentioned uh, Danny McVitie and Mary Gardner speaking a lot on it. Cherie Busson speaks a lot on it, and she is wonderful as well. She's one of my favorite people in the world. I just think the world of her. But the, you've got people like them out who are doing lectures on this, and you've got more and more veterinarians that are doing home hospice care and exclusively hospice care, which didn't even happen. I saw a thing that Lap of Love started 10 years ago uh, yesterday. It actually started 10 years ago yesterday. And, you know, before that, it was, this was an unheard of sort of concept, at least for me. And in a, a short decade now, there's hundreds of veterinarians that are just doing hospice care. And they find it very rewarding, I think, for the large part. Like you're going uh, into people's homes or you're in your clinic, but you're you're having these meaningful conversations and you're supporting these people and you're providing the service that they need and the pets need. And like, I I, I think it's great to think of it as a beautiful thing and not a burdensome, awful thing. So I, I thought this was, I thought this was a great example. And I was, I'm glad you wrapped up the, the piece with it. Yeah. And I almost look at it kind of as a referral specialty medicine where my clinic right now is so busy. I can't do a house call, but I have a, a home hospice and euthanasia vet that is actually a classmate of mine in my area that I can refer people to and I know she's going to take wonderful care for them. And so I don't have a problem with my kind of clients that have always, that, that really wanted me to do it. And I'm like, no, this person is going to be wonderful. This is her, this is her passion. She's going to take amazing care of you. And I haven't had a single one that I've sent to her that has had anything negative coming back. It was thank you for that gift of letting us do it that way. And even though you couldn't provide that, thank you for giving us that option. And no different than I don't do orthopedic surgery. I refer that to my orthopedic surgeon in our practice or to right. the specialty hospital. And so it goes back to that kind of finding your thing that you're good at and realizing where your limitations are and then utilizing those people out there that that can help you fill those gaps. Yeah. No, that's that's awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for for being on and talking through uh, the piece with me, and and for talking about Harry Potter Vet. Where can where can people find you? Uh, so there's a blog, HarryPotterVet.com. I do most of my stuff on Instagram. Um, I found the the people are some of the vet students are trying to coin the term the the Vetstagram community, um, <laughs> but the the veterinary professionals on Instagram have been very supportive, and that's one of those social media places where I feel like right now is more positive and is filling my cup. So I want to spend more time yeah. there. Um, but I, I also have a Facebook page as well, because I know not everybody's on Instagram. So give, give other people a chance to see the, the blog posts and the magical uh, chocolate frog cards that are, that are given out to some of the, some of the doctors that I wanted to highlight. So give everybody a chance to see things. Yeah, definitely. So uh, search Harry Potter vet and they should be able to find you, right? Yep, Absolutely. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. Take care, buddy. And that is our episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends. Um, you can tell them in a couple of ways. Number one, you can just text them the episode and be like, you should listen to this. That helps us get new people who are vet people who will enjoy the Kona Shame Show. And then also, write us a review. Please, please write us a review. With the Kona Shame Show starting over as its own podcast, we have zero reviews and that's a big deal i really want people to know about what we're doing you can be my favorite person for the at least the day at least the day i will be your biggest fan if you were to write an honest review 
of the Kona Shame Show at the Kona Shame Podcast on iTunes. That would mean the world to me. Gang, thanks so much for all that you do for vet medicine, for your patients, and for your pet owners. I hope to talk to you again very soon. Bye.